Hi, and welcome to the third Laser Pulse episode. This week we're talking about the Heartbleed vulnerability in OpenSSL. The take-home message from this show is to change your passwords. If you haven't changed your passwords yet, please pause the show right now and go do that. Even if you think you don't care about your online accounts, it's very simple for someone to get information from one account that could lead to something else important, like your email account or your bank account. Think about places you might have used the same or similar passwords, and places you might have used the same I forgot my password questions and answers. Alright, yeah, I have everything going, and everybody sounds pretty good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Don't you usually do introductions at the start? Or? Yeah, I'll do an introduction. Yeah, okay, introduce us. Well, how, how do you want to be introduced? Uh, I don't know. Just introduce me, and then just introduce my blog. <laughs> like, I do stuff on the internet sometimes. Okay. That sounds pretty good. I'm a web developer, I guess. But You're now web- the, this... This week they call me a security engineer since everybody's calling in about SSL. Oh wow, alright. Okay, then I guess we'll just start it off. Hi everybody, and welcome to the Laser Podcast. Um, I'm Cameron Copas, graduate student studying quantum computing and material science at Arizona State University. And uh, today we're going to talk about the Heartbleed bug. No. <laughs> What is it? I don't even know how to shorten it. Well, I mean, you can call it a vulnerability and be correct, or sure. you can call it a bug and be correct, because uh. technically it's a bug. <laughs> let's, let's go it's with... It's a mistake. <laughs> okay, we'll go with computer mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and my co-hosts today are uh, Samantha, who does stuff on the internet. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Paul, who... Uh, is a software developer working on internal stuff at uh, GoDaddy. Thank you. Yeah. Um, all right, so I guess let's, we should start off with how a server works and uh, what is going on with one of these. So can one of you uh, explain to me? All right, so basically every time you see the little lock in the corner of your browser uh, that says HTTPS, you're in an encrypted co- connection with the server, uh, which means you and the server can talk only in a language that you and the server understand. And so that's where SSL comes in. It is basically what keeps that language private between you and the server. Uh, the heartbeat bug was such a big deal uh, to everybody on the Internet because basically that secret language that you made up with the server was not so secret anymore. So basically anyone could listen in to your conversation, whether they were invited or not. (laughs) So at a lower level, uh, everyone's calling the bug heart bleed because it's a bug in the heartbeat request mechanism. At the end of the day, software engineers are lazy, and we like to get as much resources with as little work as possible. So in OpenSSL, there's something called a heartbeat request. Once you set up that uh, encrypted language, the SSL with a server, it's very expensive to do encryption. It takes a lot of computing resources. That's why your phone gets hot when you're looking at pictures of cats on the Internet. (laughs) And the reason why we have Heartbeat is so you can talk to the server and say, I'm still here. Don't hang up the phone yet. I don't want to have to set up this connection again because I'm lazy. And at the end of the day, in OpenSSL, 
there was an error in implementing the heartbeat. So I would send a heartbeat request to server A. I would say, you know what, server? I'm making sure you're still awake, you're still on the phone. Uh, here's my payload, and I'm going to tell you the size of this payload. Now, the problem is, if I'm an unkind person, I will tell the server that my payload is 64 bytes, but I will only send one byte of data. The server, through a bug in OpenSSL, it'll stick the one byte of my payload into its memory, and then when it responds to me, it'll send back another, you know, 65-some bits, bytes, to respond to me. Uh, the problem is, those bytes weren't what I sent over. So it is now sending stuff from its memory to me, the unkind attacker. So I can send as many requests as I want because they aren't exactly logged, so they can't really be picked up by IDS or slapped around by IPS. And with enough time, you can sit there and send request after request and just gather tons and tons of data, everything from emails to private keys to anything at all really so this is why it's such a huge deal and it's such a critical critical point that you regenerate your keys and you make new passwords and stuff like this after this bug okay so i don't actually know anything about computers so will you guys tell me if my my analogy is correct um, i've done a lot of reading about this and watched a lot of uh, youtube videos and read sam's blog <laughs> so what I think is going on is similar to a scam at the cash register where you give the cashier 50 cents and then you ask for you say oh no I gave you a 20 back so they have to give you back all that change that you told them and they never kept track of how much you gave them to begin with is that that's like 98 thing? 98% on you told them something they didn't check so they just respond how they would to someone who was honest and right. it's important to remember that all of the data was being sent back in plain text and not in encryption anymore uh, so you could just um, basically read the output of the computer memory instead of uh, just like Usually when we store passwords and stuff, and Sony found this out the hard way a few years ago, we hash them and keep them secret from the computer so that people can't just grab it. Uh, but what happened with Heartbleed is that we had pretty much the way to um, confirm with the computer that we were using the computer for the right purposes. So we got everything out in plain text. That was passwords, credit card information. Uh, I was watching uh, 4chan actually go into OkCupid and pull out thousands of users' accounts by just pinging the server over and over and generating a log of passwords and user accounts. And so it was basically, this wouldn't, uh, this wouldn't be a problem if you ping the server and you got everything back encrypted, but it was easier now because it was all unencrypted uh, because you knew the computer's secret language that they could grab all of your data quicker. If that makes sense. Okay. That does that does make sense. And then if I understand right, you could also get the encryption keys. So even traffic that was encrypted, you could uh, then decrypt if you didn't exactly. want to just keep doing this. Yeah, with enough time, you could get anything that's held in memory. And again, because encryption is so expensive... It has to be done in memory, so those keys are always kept in memory because it's always encrypting and decrypting data. It's just a matter of time before you hit the right, you know, 
sack of potatoes. <laughs> so it was very important the day that the bug was found to avoid any sites where you had to log in because it would make it easier for an attacker to um, get your account as you were logging in rather than sort through the memory. So how... how widespread was something like this is it safe to say that if you logged in though this happened on what, what was the date monday the monday. Uh, let's see monday april 7th 7 okay so is it safe to say that if anybody logged in to any website monday night or tuesday that their accounts were compromised i would say so because basically this is the how the how the exploit was used was different than what we usually see uh, usually, um, I want to say this is kind of a crowdsourced hacking. Okay. That what, is what happened is uh, on Reddit and on 4chan on Monday evening, somebody released an exploit script that was a very short Python script. Uh, it was intended, actually, to ping your own server, supposedly, and see if you were still vulnerable. However, um, it began to be used to collect data off of servers everywhere and so this was used on 4chan and reddit and other forum sites and um if you think of like a thousand people with the keys to the castle it's a lot more threatening than just one person so yes i would say that there's a good likelihood that you were probably your information was probably stolen unless you were on microsoft servers and then you're okay (laughs) and i mean also pair with that that someone took that original script and they slapped it into a Metasploit plugin, you know, within a couple hours. So even people who, you know, kids who don't know how to run Python scripts, anyone can utilize Metasploit, aim it at a remote server, and get the logs back. I think anyone who knows how to use Metasploit is going to know how to run a Python script, though. <laughs> The problem is any any old script kitty with access to the internet and on two of the most popular sites on the internet had access to how to gather information okay. from these affected servers almost fast faster actually than they had could could develop a patch for the for the bug. Okay, um, so I also kind of want to talk about the the timeline for this. It was announced that there was a problem sometime on Monday night. Mm-hmm. And then, was that before a fix for this was uh, done? Yes, that was the big problem, I think, is that the, um, they announced there was a bug before a patch was created. Okay, and then who, who did that? Um, I've read a lot of things about Google told somebody who told somebody else who told Cloudflare who uh, announced it to the world. So the problem is is that there's a couple of competing ideas about what proper bug handling is. Uh, when your corporation gets to be a certain size, you do not respond quickly to bugs because it costs time and money to divert your dev resources. Uh, so in comparison, security researchers who find something, they sometimes get irritated that they aren't uh, responded to quickly, and they will release the bug information out into the wild because there are you know, tales of bugs that are recorded, documented, you know, there's suggested mitigation plans for months and months, and these large corporations are like, yeah, that's pretty important, but, um, you know, we're going to finish changing the color on this button to cornflower blue before we come back to that. <laughs> and uh, 
probably the only companies that respond quickly are companies that actually put bounties on bugs and stuff like that. You hear about how if you find a bug in Chrome or if you can break out of the sandbox memory in Chrome, you can actually win money. So that is definitely in the minority of large corporations. And so this turned into sort of a race condition. You had some people saying, this is so important, we need to tell everyone now. And you had other people saying, this is so important, you need to shut up until I make a patch. And I mean, it's kind of a gray area about, you know, fixing stuff or security through obscurity. Okay. And then, what else? Okay, I've also heard a lot of people who are uh, getting really paranoid about this and talking about who planted this bug and how long has it been there and who knew about it beforehand. A lot so, of people have been that don't really mean uh, they're looking for an excuse to blame the NSA. And while it's probably safe to say that the NSA did probably know this bug existed, they did not plant it. Um, this was a simple like programming error, and it was actually um, I posted it on my blog. Their uh, existentialize.com actually did a explanation of how and why this is a pro- problem with the C programming language itself, um, and not the NSA planning bugs to listen to us all (laughs) (laughs) if they were to plan a bug they'd probably be a little more careful about it anyway right exactly you you wouldn't want everyone to be insecure just uh just enough people so that nobody finds out Uh, okay so the important thing is is that it was a problem it was a mistake by a poor open source developer who did this for free and now open SSL the organization is a 5013c so if you don't want this to happen again you should go donate <laughs> <laughs> and I mean it's easy to demonize someone and say you know oh you made this huge bug so many people use your stuff I mean personally as a software engineer, I can't count the amount of things that I have accidentally destroyed. So, like, my heart goes out to the guy who will only be famous because of this. But contributing to open source is kind of like a community thing. The more eyes you have looking at something, the more tests you have run in the background, the better it becomes. So if you want to improve something, uh, like Sam said, you donate to this worthy cause, or you just go out there and help yourself. Throw some code down. All right. What else did we want to talk about? You guys have, oh, I guess we should actually say what websites were affected and who, why so, um, everybody should change their pattern. All right, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So a majority of the web was affected because this was affecting only um, mostly Linux boxes. And um, if you've ever run an IIS Microsoft server, you can understand why the web is made mostly on Linux boxes. <laughs> um, so the patch timeline was the patch was released and mo- most Debian and CentOS servers were the first servers to release the or receive the patch with the final SD base, which Wait, was Unix. I think we just lost you, Sam. You say that last oh. sentence again. The final patch, like the first servers to receive the patch, were uh, Debian and CentOS based Linux servers, and the final servers were BSD based. Um, you got to understand that reissuing SSL certificates is costly. Um, so I can imagine that rapid SSL and similar are rolling in the money right now. <laughs> uh, but there's been competing numbers somewhere between like 17%, which I feel is very conservative. And most security firms in 
that I know of are saying more like 66%. Uh, so if you're concerned, uh, I would check I would check it against one of the sites that are set up to check against Heartbleed uh, vulnerabilities, or you can just click the um, in the corner of your Chrome browser or similar and check what date that the SSL was issued. Um, the only servers that were not affected by this were Microsoft-based servers because they do not use OpenSSL. So it's safe to say that like. 66% of your time on the web is compromised. So that's a whole lot. Yeah. And the worst part is that a lot of people use the same passwords for more than one service. So if you use your password, password one, on like Joe Schmo's auto forums, and you also use that for your Gmail, don't think that hackers probably won't compile these lists and try it against everything. So it's important to change your passwords for everything to be safe right now. And then once again in a month. And the other thing to add is that uh, hackers aren't just a bunch of people sitting in their mom's basement eating Cheetos and trying out different passwords they've collected. Uh, these are guys who write complex scripts, or worse, these are guys who compile large lists and sell them to more devious people who write even more complex scripts to test things. Or if they grab a hashed password file, they throw together some rainbow tables and they try to crack what's familiar. So it's also understanding the scope of the opposition is it's not just one or two guys, you know, doing this for the weekend for fun. These are people who have automated scripts who get very serious about this thing because every every time they can get a little bit closer to your personal information, they can get a little bit closer to what you uh, care about, like your bank accounts and stuff like that, that you're not super careful with. And it's important to understand that not only were cloud services like Dropbox openly compromised, I saw reports rolling in on Tuesday that uh, Dropbox accounts were beginning to be used maliciously, uh, but your banks, were, your banks were also running on these Linux servers and also were vulnerable for some time. A Bank of America, one of the largest banks in the world, was vulnerable until Tuesday afternoon, which was almost 18 hours after the patch was released. Okay, and then I think it's also important to point out that uh, a lot of people think, oh, if I didn't use the website during that time, I'm safe. But Dropbox specifically, if anybody who has a Dropbox account and has a computer or a phone, your account is basically going to be compromised because... Dropbox automatically authenticates every 15 minutes. Yes, exactly. And even if you were logged in all day, I had a few people ask this, well, I'm always logged into Facebook. Should I change my password? Absolutely, because every time you load that page, it checks to see if you were authorized. Also, to take a step back, uh, Gmail and Bank of America were mentioned. I know for a fact that they both off offer two-factor authentication, and I use both on those sites, so... If you're not familiar with that, I highly recommend you read up on it and implement it in as many places as you can feasibly do so, because it's super useful. Yeah. Change your passwords and be safe. Watch your credit cards. Great <laughs> <laughs> right, <All> security. Right. <laughs> yep. Just general good password hygiene. Do not use your username as your password. Do not use the same password in more than one place if you can. If you have problems remembering passwords, there's many services you can use, LastPass, KeyPass, that uh, offer sort of password vaults. And you can go to them online. Some of them have mobile offerings. 
some of them are free, some of them are paid and be, can be shared amongst people. So there's a lot of tools out there to help you make and keep better passwords. So. All right. Um, I think that's good. Do you guys have anything else you want to say about this? I think that while Heartbleed is a bad thing, it's also a good thing because it brings security, which is mostly like the black horse of internet technology and information technology, to the forefront of everyone's minds. And I think with with this, we can stop relying on security through obscurity and start relying on security through good code. All right. I'll put a bunch of uh, related links in the show notes for this this recording. And if anybody wants to read uh, the post on Sam's blog, her blog is at finalphoenix.me. And I think that's it. Yay! Excellent. Well, thank you for having us on, Cameron. And uh, I know you have already changed your passwords, but make sure you tell all your friends and family, etc., I had to uh, tell my dad why it was a bad idea to have his username as his password recently, so (laughs) it's always a good discussion to have with people. Friends don't let friends use bad passwords. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, and good night. (laughs) Thanks for listening. This has been Laser. Let's agree science and engineering are rad. Show notes with links to everything we talked about are available on the website at laserpodcast.com. You can send us an email to contact at laserpodcast.com, contact us on Twitter at laserpodcast, or find us on Facebook or Google+. If you want to help out the podcast, you can tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, or you can use the Amazon affiliate link on our website before you make any Amazon purchases. Thanks to the band Crying for providing our intro music, and to The Wild for providing our outro music.